to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It's a science thing. It's a science place. It's a scientific fact. They were all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Uh, Tonight's special episode, The Return. The Return of the Spud. Uh, Jerry Casale. Very excited to... Talk to him about his new EP, new videos, uh, bringing back Jihad Jerry, but it with a <laughs> with new 2022 swagger. Uh, all those things. Uh, Jerry Casali, of course, friend of the show, one of my favorite guests ever. And we're going to go right to it after I do this really uh, obnoxious spiel that I do in the show. Welcome to Kona Neutron's Proton Conversal. I'm your host, Kona Neutron. I'm a rock and roll lifer who has toured and recorded for over 22 years most known for the band Kona Neutron, The Secret Friends. Music is a huge part of my life, and I use the format of this very long-running podcast to talk about music with musicians whose work I enjoy and respect. Folks that may or may not be household names, but do something very special. This is episode 313. If this is your first time listening to the show, all the archives are available at protonconversal.com and are always free, no ads, no sponsors, no kidding. And if you'd like to support the show and get episodes sooner, you can give $1 a month to patreon.com slash protonconversal. And if you like the show or even just a single episode, please feel free to share it along, like, subscribe, or post a review. All that helps people find the show. And it's a darn nice thing to do. So there you go. That wasn't too bad, was it? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, some the, the, the cliche when you do a show like this is to say that, you know, my next guest needs no introduction. I think that was a David Letterman uh, deal. Uh, I, I, I am going to do it anyway, uh, because this is Jerry freaking Casale, man. Uh, one of my favorite artists, musicians, a legendary uh, member of Devo. And uh, here he is. Welcome back, sir. How you doing? Hello. Uh, you've been a very busy man. <laughs> yeah, as busy as I'm allowed to be. That's what I like. Uh, I guess let's start off by say uh, congratulations uh, for becoming a father, too, which is... Um, <laughs> yeah, it was shocking. Uh, and congratulations on the new release as well, oh, which, which I yeah. think is fantastic. Uh, this is this is this is real cool. It's I think fans of Devo would absolutely appreciate it. Like they're they're going to be able to uh, find some value out of it. I appreciated the um, like yeah the easy listening mixes and, uh, oh, yeah. and things along <laughs> those lines. All the extras and things like that. There's a lot of fun stuff for it. 
Uh, you got it in for, for Record Store Day. How did this release come to pass? Was this like an overall conceived thing, or did it end up being something where it, it kind of shot from the hip a little bit? Well, it's it's really a tip of the iceberg. I mean, I still am the same person, you know, creatively, uh, uh, conceptually, that started Devo, right? right. Devo was experimental. Devo was collaboration. Devo was... Um, you know, somewhat polarizing in the beginning and and um, multimedia. And I've never quit thinking like that, never quit being excited to, to, to do that. In other words, excited about ideas, excited about creating uh, for its own sake. I mean, you know that Devo didn't start where people cynically sat around and go, this will make a lot of money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Real recipe for success, totally. <laughs> you know, uh, so now I'm, you know, I'm a senior citizen. And uh, and I realized that in the real world, you know, only Dua Lipa counts and things like that. But I still feel a need to do what I can do. And I'd do a lot more of it if you could corral people and work with them. But they all have schedules. They all have you know, things that they have to do to pay the bills and be successful. So I finally got to collaborate again with Josh Freeze and with Steve Bartek. Right. And uh, right. And, and it was exciting and fun because they have the same kind of uh, youthful, kind of innocent approach to creating that I still do. And, and, and so, tip, you know, Invisible Man is one of many, many songs. There's a lot more coming, which is fantastic, because yeah. it's because it's there's no reason why should you stop, you know? Like there's no well, yeah. yeah. And and again, it, I think it's it's a it's sad to a lot of Devo fans, myself included, that you know that there isn't more material because yeah, of course we did the anniversary show for something for everybody. I love that record. I think it stands amongst uh, your best. But yeah. I get it. You know, Mark's very busy scoring stuff and, uh, you know, right. everyone has obligation, lives, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's 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 true of any band, whether they're big or small, <laughs> you have to, like, deal with that. Yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't, you know, he that's what he's interested in, is scoring. And, uh, and yeah, doesn't have the same Devo spirit. Right. And it's you know there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. Of course, it's it's fantastic, and we celebrate him for it. But it's it's just nice to hear someone from your world and coming from your world view and where you right. have been, uh, still creating and and obviously you're having a blast doing it. Like it's like this is this is vital stuff, right? Like it's not like oh here's yeah. the contractual obligation record that I'm just gonna <laughs> exactly like in, right? No, right? No, I'm I'm you know. In this one, I'm marching in Teletubby land uh, in my pajamas. Right, exactly. The, so. video, the video is incredible. Like, it's really good. <laughs> uh, and I like that there's sort of a thematic link uh, with it as yeah. well. Like, like the, and that was, all, that was all intentional, too, just as with Devo. There's, there's a, you know, a meta narrative behind it all. And I work with Davey Force because I think he's a genius. Really and, cool, really cool stuff with that. Oh, uh, yeah, he's good. He's good. He's the best animator and, you know, like mad professor of, of AI programs that I've ever met. He's great. Well, and it's, it's fascinating too, because like, there's something about it that like, it, uh, it doesn't just feel like a cartoon. It, it's like a little unnatural somehow. 
And, yeah. <laughs> like, and I think it's not the same at all, but I think of like uh, when rotoscoping first came in, right? Yeah, there, there that's, was, the, that's a good example, yeah. Because there's like that Bakshi uh, Hobbit uh, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> right? Which are like, wow, this is kind of looks like a cartoon and kind of right. not. Like, some, like when the orcs and stuff show up, it's like, whoa, what is that? That's right. crazy looking. Right. And I like the fact that, you know, the videos take the more unnatural elements of the animation and kind of use that uh, as part of the narrative structure and as right. part of the overall presentation. It's a very Devo thing. Yeah, we're mutating and morphing right. from live action <laughs> to this kind of Marvel world uh, that's immortal yeah. and unreal. Yeah. So how does it feel to have, like, and, and knowing, you know, we talked on, in other episodes about, you know, you do, you're doing video work for, for other bands, like for the Cars and, the, and things along right. those lines. But to have the technology kind of catch up with the you know, the mindset and, and the ideas. I know. I know. I've, I've always been, obviously, as all of Devo was, excited with the, the latest tools and yeah. the latest toys. And, and we were always experimenting and using that as soon as we were able to, you know, financially use some of those techniques. I mean, my God, we were doing blue screen and green screen like way before anybody. And and so this this is like, what used to be so hard and so crude is is all in the box and all simple now. You know, right. you got to remember that when we first landed on the moon, they they didn't have as much technology to land on the moon as we have in a in an iPhone. It's absolutely true. Yeah, we, we, we like when when uh, what was it Apollo? Uh, which Apollo mission was it where they had to um, to save them? It's like they were all they were doing that with like. Yeah, far less computing power than the crappiest cell phone. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and fair. now it's taken them fifty years to get back to the moon. Yeah, which they're having trouble doing. So that is de-evolution. <laughs> yeah, well, don't worry because we use these things to make each other feel bad and to spread lies and misinformation. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, I think it is well, and, and thinking back to you know, uh, and we've, I don't want to talk about things that we've talked about too much before, but. I think uh, was it the girl you want video that you, like just the contrast was all just like oh my god oh, something's wrong with we, the TV like what's you know what is this <laughs> we took something that's a mistake in post production where somebody forgets to flip a switch and everything's out of phase right. and you know I had seen that mistake as many people did that worked a lot in uh, video studios and thought you know what let's. Let's have that. Let's shoot everything with that in mind, so we know what's going to happen to it when we flip the switch. Yeah, you know. So, so the production design was was done on purpose, knowing that we were going to mess up the the, the color. <laughs> which is which is great to like spend so much time and effort creating something yeah. perfect and be like, oh yeah, now let's screw it up. Now, yeah, <laughs> it was fun. Right. Well, and then also that's that video has got the you know Devo's getting very much like the Beatles treatment on Ed Sullivan as well, which is also <laughs> like hilarious, you know, and and especially just uh, in in retrospect. But then also you know take um, there was the the DVD that had like all the videos collected. When right. You, when you take it as the aggregate total of the art, it really fits in nicely with like the vision for the rest of them because you guys are always changing, uh, evolving, so to speak, and. Yeah trying different stuff and right. it seems like it was it was as much to challenge yourself as the audience and, and everyone else to use the technology well it was to keep us excited about creating you know we didn't want to just keep repeating ourselves 
Yeah, Even though we talked about that in Chocohomo, we must be <laughs> exactly, which makes it such an awesome song because it's it gets that kind of uh, you know the, the the repetition to the point of absurdity, and then it goes back yeah. to being genius, and then it goes back to being absurd, <laughs> then it gets annoying, then it goes back to being genius, uh, which is you know I'm a huge fan of things like that. But these videos, these new videos, to me, it feels like it has that same sense of adventure and that same sense of just like oh what how, what can we do to to make screw this up and like make this interesting or, or weird yeah yeah and now that everybody like it's almost expected like the idea of like you know again back to mtv the idea of putting out a record and not doing a video is like insane because that's what yeah. that's how people interact with things now right right and and you know the invisible man is a dickhead by the way <laughs> yeah, exactly not not, <laughs> not a nice guy it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. well and then In- he never is. Right, right. Then I, then I, I, I think of that along with uh, I'm going to pay you back too, where it's, you know, it's <laughs> lar- largely addressing like the dickhead in the room, which uh, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's yeah. It, do you feel like there's still grievances unsettled, or is the are these allegorical at this point? Yeah, I what I do is I, every all, I think everybody, uh, especially in the entertainment business, has experienced uh, betrayal, gaslighting. Uh, you know, shameless lying, uh, screw jobs. And, you know, you have to like abstract that and take it and use it as creative fuel. Otherwise, you'll go mad, yeah. you know, or you'll end up being homicidal and go to jail. <laughs> yeah, or, 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 yeah, mad or worse, exactly. <laughs> right, or die, yeah. Um, or the old joke, bungee, then death. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was I was uh, I was just talking to a, a friend earlier, and uh, he was talking about a he's a writer. He's talking about writing a short story where a guy is so down that he he gets a gun to kill himself, but he buys it. The gun too is too cheap, and it jams when he, when he tries to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which some people might not find that funny. I I was I found that deeply hilarious. I was like, that's like, that's amazing. Well, you know, you can always try again. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So, so, how do you feel about? Because all right. So the EP, there's a record store day release, which which is yeah, awesome, limited edition, artfully presented for the fans, uh, for people that like a physical representation of the media. How do you right. feel about the place of of physical media in today's day and age? Well, I like it because it's a fetish. I like it because you know it is clearly uh, an anomaly, you know, in in fetishistic. Uh, retro for a crowd that grew up without it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, the and, kids are buying yeah. vinyl. Yeah. If, yeah, if anybody yeah. buys anything, it's, it's usually like, you know, it's either right. <laughs> old timers with t- nice hi fi's or kids that are, that are right. You get a 12 inch piece of vinyl and it's like, look at this. Yeah. You know, it's like an artifact. Oh my God, look at this. It's, it's, it's an art piece because you, you remember 12 inch vinyl records. It was a big deal. You saved up. You made a big choice to buy it. It had amazing artwork at a scale that mattered. It had lyrics. It had inner sleeves. You'd read things and buy things. And and you'd put the record on and lay down and smoke your shitty pot that wasn't very strong. And, And listen to the whole record beginning to end the way the artist had sequenced it because there was some purpose to that. And there was a cohesive body of work where if you liked one of those songs, you were going to like at least half of that record. You know, you were going to like four or five songs. 
And that whole experience is gone. And that whole idea is gone. Well, and I feel like people change, like they don't think about sequencing the same way, right? It's, it's just like if you don't have them hooked by the first song, like they're on to the next thing immediately. Well, you know? yeah. So, I mean, everything's just, you know, you, you put it on shuffle, right? Yeah. In, in Spotify. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, the artist's intent doesn't matter at all. Do you if, do you feel like the algorithm is a is proof of devolution de-evolution? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a- taking everybody and putting them in a feedback loop, and um, you know, to quote somebody you never think I would quote, I will quote the Eagles, because <laughs> they are letting the sound of their own wheels drive them crazy, and yeah. that's what you're watching. <laughs> You're watching a world descend into madness, or at least America and Western culture is descending into madness. And everyone's pitted against everybody else, and the crazies are running the show. It's also just weird to think about the idea of, well, I mean, you know, freedom of choice, right? Yeah. Uh, It's what you got. (laughs) Yeah, it's what they had, and they gave it up willingly. Freedom from choice is what you want. Yeah, and I always it was disappointed whenever I'd hear people cover that song and they wouldn't catch that turnaround, which for me is the... <laughs> which was the whole idea. The whole point of the song, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like singing Beautiful World, never going, but not for me. But, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> You'd go, and me too. Is that, is that is that what uh, uh, Nicole sang in the in Devo 2.0? Uh, what, was, what was the change in that one? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Ah, we made her say in me too. Yeah, yeah, which is so, which is so like deeply screwed up. Like I love yeah. that. that it was, oh yeah, it was perverted. Yeah. <laughs> that I mean that was and and we talked about that in a previous show. We don't need to like uh, get right. too into that. But the idea of there being well, like franchising, right? And like having it be right. when I think right. of the whatever one thinks of the movies when JJ Abrams brought back Star Trek with the uh, but like diff- with different people with younger right. actors that would be like you know the same right. age that they were when the original show was airing and right. so many people got so upset about it. it's like well they're they're icons so they're, he's doing something different with it and you know sometimes that works sometimes that doesn't but uh that was a specifically freakishly weird of its time thing for that era of the 2000s too that like <laughs> i think only yeah. could have happened then you know yeah exactly yeah. uh and when you have Something like that, this geared for like, hey, it's Devo songs, but obviously it can't be, uh, you know, like there's certain things that you can and can't do. I love the fact that some of the stuff that, that it was, here are the changes you need to make. And it's like worse somehow. Like, oh, that's way exactly. worse. Well, <laughs> that's way worse oh, than yeah. what we had. It was totally perverted. It's like we couldn't <laughs> have thought of anything that good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you were like a sleeper cell agent to put to get subversive material oh, in the yeah. air, you know, you'd be yeah. able to. <laughs> it was like the uncontrollable urge story where yeah. they go, you can't have an undefined urge. Yeah. You've got to define it. And we said, well, what, what would that be? They go, junk food. <laughs> Oh, yeah, programs on in the afternoon with middle schoolers. Uh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Junk. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, so I changed it to before dinner, after lunch, I get a snack attack and I need to munch. And a 13-year-old girl's singing that. Amazing, yeah. And they went, that's great. <laughs> yeah, just guilelessly like, oh, yeah, that's much better. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. sure. <laughs> Which, and when you're in a situation like that, you know, do you – 
you, you don't say anything, right? You're just like, all right, cool. Or, <laughs> you, yeah, I had learned after years and years and years of being the, the stupid shit that didn't um, suffer the fools gladly that, yeah. oh, wait a minute, this is totally Devo. You just like smile and go, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I think that it's it's notable too, and and that was a that was a crazy moment in history too, because I felt like the um, the nostalgia industrial complex was just kind of getting going uh, in, in the modern world, and of course, Steve never really went away, but the, <laughs> but the idea of there being like oh yeah, there's um, the only thing I can think of is remotely like it, uh, Manor Astro Man, which uh, when, uh-huh. when you're on with mm-hmm. me from Moving to Extravaganza, Brian Teasley of Manor Astro Man, a.k.a. Yeah. Uh, uh, Burst stuff, he, they had a tour where it was called the Clone Tour, where they uh, yeah. they recruited friends of the band and other bands uh. to be their clones. And they had, sounds good. And they had like four different bands going out and playing Manor Astro Man shows in different areas at the same time. And it was That's like, nice. Yeah, and like, like what uh, Andy Warhol did back in the '60s, uh, he sent out guys that, that looked, you know, enough like him and put the same wigs. <laughs> right. Yeah. That they they went to different places to do uh, talks at universities at the same time. Yeah, that's amazing. It's <laughs> it's a, it's a really it's a, and it's it's very deconstructive of the idea of like what is an appearance, what is yeah. a performance, well, yeah. what is you know. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it was what the English would call a piss take. I think it was. I think it was Dada. I think it was Dada art. Yeah, I suppose it just depends on depends on how you look at it. Uh, but yeah. I think I think that it's you no. Know, well, and then again, I, I I'm really gonna. I'm trying my best to to keep it unique. But then I think about the original conception of something for everybody, which was to focus group it. Yeah, <laughs> and it feels like that was something where the the people in the position of power kind of. We're along for it, and then also kind of need to be dragged along for it. Um, well, they um, they jumped ship. They got yeah. scared, and they jumped ship. It was terrible, but predictable. They decided that the ad agency and Devo were making fun of the record label, and it's like, come <laughs> on, like we are making fun of everything, and starting with ourselves here, folks. Yeah. I mean, the idea of just like, you know, people find the color blue more pleasant. So that's what we changed. <laughs> we changed the hats to. Right. I mean, just that alone right. was like, oh, my God. Amazing. Right. You know, right. And we wanted, you know, the fans to be in on that joke. Yeah. And then uh, but then there's also, you know, you had a, a bevy of songs. You had a lot of songs. So then you had like the yeah. song study, which is sort of like, oh, let the people have their say. What goes on the record? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I th- yeah, we did everything that we did everything that ad agencies really do in marketing campaigns, except we were doing it fake, <laughs> right? And and doing performatively doing it, and and in a way that's like if you knew, it'd be like, oh, well, this happens all the time. You just don't get to see it televised or you know streamed right. or whatever, right? Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's something where if there had been like if the reality show element had come to pass, that would have been like maybe the crowning achievement of. of- <laughs> Of Devo, which is saying a lot. Yeah. Well, it was one more disappointment and one more, you know, whatever it's called, uh, stick up the butt, uh, you know, in my craw. Because, I mean, it was a brilliant idea, and we worked with the mother agency in New York, and we had it all worked out, and the record company just threw a wrench into things and ruined it. It could have gone all the way, and it could have really worked. 
I feel like, as with many things, Pioneers that got scalped, it was just a little bit too early. Yeah. Like in this era of endless streaming entertainment, you know, yeah. of, you know, <laughs> it's not, not even just the like, hey, it's on the internet. It's, oh, which internet? Which internet is that on? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been perfect. I think, I think it would have yeah. really worked. Uh, yeah. But yeah, not the, not the first time that happened to you guys. Uh, so, so you're here to talk about the new stuff ostensibly. Tell me about like working on, on this new stuff. So you had the guy from, so first of all, um, uh, Josh is obviously amazing. Uh, I'm yeah. a bit, I actually like Ongo Boingo quite a bit. Steve's a very talented musician. Uh, and, and Steve Bartek, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Really, really fantastic guy. So how did that come to pass? Did you know Steve from, uh, way, way in the past, way in the back. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, uh, it was Jeff winner, my executive producer that was full of good ideas that said, Hey, why don't you talk to Steve Bartek uh, with what you're telling me you'd like to do on The Invisible Man? I think that's the way to go. And you brought him in on um, I'm going to pay you back. And and he did the uh, twisted psychedelic stuff for you. Yeah. And he's like, a, you know, he's he's like a genius scientist. He's got a huge home studio with so many guitars and pedals and effects and retro pieces of outboard equipment and amplifiers and pre-amplifiers and compressors it's a toy store for any musician <laughs> right a toy store me. for sounds exactly yeah <laughs> and so you know he's a guy that'll go you you'll you'll throw out the idea and you'll give some reference and go oh well here i can take this frequency analyzer and i could plug it in here and we can compress it there and then hop, we can do this and you hear something really cool and you go, that's really good. And he goes, or we could do this. And so in about five minutes, you've got too many options. You've heard like six things. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's, it's like, whoa, 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 let's, let's, let's back up here, you know, because you just heard a half of an album's worth <laughs> of ideas in one song. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like too much. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. then you don't want to get like analysis paralysis or something along those no, lines, right? No, no. Uh, it it, stri- it strikes me that that idea seems not dissimilar to how you guys compose the classic Diva material, though. Like just a lot That's of like exactly. Burr, That's burr. what we were doing. Check this yep. out. What does this do? Okay, this does that. Yeah, yeah. Mark would find some outrageous sound, and then suddenly, by talking and laughing, we would make that the foundation of a whole song. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I was talking. Uh, I was talking to someone about like the lead guitar work in, in, in Devo and just how, mm-hmm. and how Bob is, is like, it's amazing rock guitar. It's just that yeah. there, there's all these <laughs> strange dying robot keyboard sounds and stuff around that. I think people, right. If they're not looking for it or right. um, thinking about it, then they, they don't really acknowledge it. But uh, you know, I think it was one of the nice things about hearing some of the, earlier things like i'm thinking of like the the, the early version of uh mongoloid with, mm-hmm. with that guitar is just so raunchy it's just like rah, yeah. rah, 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 right. and, and it's just like it sounds like the stooges or something yeah you know? well, yeah and yeah it it occurs to me that like you know devo had the reputation justifiable or not as being like a synth band and while that is true there's a deep rock yeah world uh oh yeah to what you bob, guys did bob mother's ball was a rocker yeah for real and he came from that background and he had a band uh that 
you know, was a out and out rock band. Right. Like no, and he, and he worshipped <laughs> Keith Richards. Yeah. Which, which is, which is, you know, doubly cra- And I'm not going to make you tell the story. You've told it so many times the, the, the satisfaction story, but I mean, right. for, we were talking about this in the van and I, I think that's probably one of the best covers of all time. Just of the, cause of the way you guys did it. Cause it sounds yeah. like you, yeah. But in a way, that's just like a also a statement about like the absolute awesomeness and complete preposterousness of rock and roll at the same time. Yeah, and it didn't start as the song, which would made it the best. You were we just, didn't say let's cover Satisfaction. Yeah, it's just we had a jam, piece by piece, and the and the further out it got, the more excited we got yeah. until it became Satisfaction by accident. Which is amazing. I mean, and that's something where, you know, did you just know that you were like, this is, this is something special? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. We wouldn't, you know, we were, once you play something for hours and you, you don't want to stop. Yeah. The band is, you know, bought into it. The trains left the station. And it was Bob Casale that stopped Mark and said, hey, sing the lyrics to Satisfaction. Right. So Mark started trying to do that, and that's when I put the change in it. Yeah, which which is which is great. I mean, that makes the song right. So right. Do you, do you like arranging? Like, is that something that you yeah. enjoy doing? Because yeah, I- arranging is probably the most important thing. It's kind of like marketing in Western society, right? Arranging is is everything in a song to me. Well, think about writing. Someone can be a great writer without an editor. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's, it's like yeah. Finnegan's Wake. I'll, I'll, there you go. Peace Finnegan's and love, Wake. peace and love. But yeah, you read it once, <laughs> it's it's enough, <laughs> really. Yeah. Uh, so, so with this new stuff, when do you have an idea before before you're right before the Invisible Man? I'm going to pay you back. Do you, do you have the idea beforehand? Like, do you have like the songs kind of worked out, like where it's going to go? Like, how much is the process part of the of the of the story? Well, actually, with those, you know, I. Those came about by, by collaborating and jamming with, uh, um, to begin with, with Josh. Who's a monster musician. I mean, that guy is just fantastic. And he makes me laugh. I mean, he, the guy is clever and funny. And he, he actually stimulates ideas. And, uh, and he will start with some just whacked drum beat. And I just started like reciting some lyrics extemporaneously over the top. And, you know, and then he'd laugh and record it and he'd say, well, why don't you do that here? Like he was doing to me what I always do to everybody else. Like do that three times and then we'll do this. Right. And we start doing that and we go back and forth. So that's how Invisible Man got written. And that's how I'm going to pay you back got written. Uh, And and so we, you know, we were very collaborative from from the start on that. Do you have, did you have rough ideas for the, being, being a guy who has a, a, a sharp, keen sense for visual aesthetic, do you have ideas? Oh yeah, I always have that. Yeah. yeah I that. <laughs> I That's mean, not a problem. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The ideas aren't the problem, it's at the actual you know, time and effort to execute them, I'm sure. No, I knew I wanted to wake up from the nightmare of I'm gonna pay you back, or supposedly wake up, and it might just be deeper in the dream, like Inception, you know. <laughs> nope. Okay. Hold on. Looks like we got some. We got some lanes Uh-oh. here. Yeah. Okay. There, there you go. go. You're back. And so you know, I had to go outside and walk it off. That was my idea. And when I went outside, I knew I wanted 
to look like I was in some Teletubby world. Right, just like those bright, <laughs> just like uh, yeah, almost cool. super flat art. Graphic. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like like coloring book. I, I call it, you know, where it's yeah, kind of topiary <laughs> trees. <laughs> right, so, yeah. Just, a two blue sky yeah. and Mr. Sun, which I had to play myself. Of course, yes. <laughs> and he's a scary Mr. Sun, but I mean that's something too that I guess I suppose you could call that show Devo in its own in its own way, right? Because oh, yeah, oh, it was because it's from a long tradition of like yeah, ostensibly this is for kids, but people are definitely getting stoned and just watching this. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh definitely. <laughs> yeah uh, 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 but it's uh, and you know what's, what's interesting is when i that, that idea started over a year ago mm-hmm. what the, the teletubbies weren't around and they came back while we were recording the song there was the announcement it was ridiculous it's uh and we were we were already all down the road you know right, planning right. the video when it when it happened right in the zeitgeist at the, at the at the right at the right time for that to come back which now yeah and and, and now i i don't want to get into teletubbies discourse now but the fact that there is teletubbies discourse is a astounding representation <laughs> of our times if you ask me uh but okay so so as someone who's so concerned with the visuals how did you come to um like to, to Tomo, uh, how did you? Did oh, Tomo, yeah, that was another uh, connection that um, Jeff Winter made. Jeff said, yeah. "Hey, do you know Tomo's work?" I said, "I'm not sure." And then he showed me. I go, "Oh, I think I've seen a, a piece of uh, that he did." And then he started showing me a lot more, and I went, "Oh my God, this is! I love the uh, the kind of fetishistic, votive symmetry, almost pseudo-religious." Yeah. You know, and occult. And I thought, okay, I'm going all the way. You know, I'm, I'm going into, you know, uh, uh, Bilderberg territory and, you know, mas- Masonic times here. I'm, I'm going to exploit all the conspiracy stuff and, and uh, QAnon kind of junk, you know, like make sure that I'm always doing this. Like you see every, every major politician and all the royalty when they speak they're always doing this while they're talking right. <laughs> or, or they're doing this yeah. yep. while they're talking right always and there's always a pyramid behind them it's or like maybe it's, an orb who knows yeah oh yeah they all have, <laughs> it's like there's enough to make you believe there is an intent right it, yeah because exactly it's so consistent well and so it, i loaded that up i loaded i said here's jihad jerry and here's what he's doing and i gave him all the imagery that comes with that yeah and and said make it really occult make it really dark and occult and religious and he did he did great great job and there's you know there's a lot in that in his artwork other artwork there's like lots of different types of imagery that kind of contrasts and that's what makes it into like you know like you know, sort of like just like devastated environmental <laughs> Yeah, stuff and just like abhorrent violence and fire, but also like kind of it all. It does kind of look, yeah, like you said, like religious artwork or something where it mm-hmm. would be up on, you know, if, if yeah, so like apocalyptic, you know, and it's it's uh, it's the what what do you want to call it the, when you when you take animals and deify them? Oh, sure, yeah, 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 where, and, where the, like representations of deity. Yeah, and yeah. and he does all that right. So there's like. 
pagan and, and satanic references and, you know, occult references. This is, this might, might open up like a whole kettle of fish, but I, I think it's worth mentioning since, you know, we t- I feel like conspiracy theories used to be like enjoyable or at least interesting, even if one was not a believer. Yeah, they were fun. I, and like I think of Art Bell, you know, and, and things like yeah. that. Like that was the thing you threw on when you were like driving late and like, oh, it's, yeah. it's fun to listen to. And like somehow I never had in my bingo card that conspiracy theories would have the fun sucked out of them. And I'll just be like, the, like the worst representative. I feel like we're in the new metal of conspiracy theories right now, frankly. I know what you mean. Um, it's not funny anymore. We're choking on them. Yeah. And and they become weaponized. I mean, it's toxic stuff and people are ready to kill. And that's that's like the least fun thing ever, you know. Yeah. That's that's not not awesome in any way. I, I do you feel like that's changed your worldview as far as like how you present things? And and I, I bring that up because yeah, we talked a bit about Jihad Jerry, right? And like right, <laughs> some people yeah, didn't. he didn't get the love. Yeah, he <laughs> he did not get the love. Some people did not get the joke, which I right. I thought was I don't know how they didn't. I really. Don't. <laughs> It just seemed like it was pretty so, much on the face of it. Because here you got a 60-year-old guy in a bad Sam the Sham and the Pharaoh's turban, you know, saying, mine is not a holy war, and he's a white guy. Right. Uh, what's not to get? Yeah. Um, you know. Well, and it's in the spirit of, you know, challenging people, too. Like, you know, yeah. Why, why, why yeah. do you feel like you're present, presented with this character? And why do you feel, like, un, you know, revulsed or... Uh, right angry at, at seeing this you know, person pr- representing things this way that ostensibly has a worldview and, uh, you know. And, is, is... Well, I felt some sort of accomplishment because I had Muslims and jocks hating me equally. <laughs> I felt like it was a, I felt like it was like a Tony Clifton move, uh, you know, with yeah. Uh, yeah. For yeah, I hope I don't have to explain myself. Probably not with the the people. Who Tony, that this, was but... the best. Andy Kaufman, my God, he's the best. And just like you know, making this purposeful heel character just to be like, you know, here. Oh here, yeah. Here, here's the superstar, Jihad Jerry. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. let's go. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Tony Clifton was great confrontational stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 were on an episode of Fridays where he came out as Tony Clifton. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Was that did you did you get to spend any time with with him? No, we didn't, but <sighs> god, we thought he was great, but the show didn't think he was great. That was the end. Uh that the producer, I forget what his name is, he came to blows with Tony cuz Tony went all the way. Of and Tony he did. Would, Tony spent a couple hours in the dressing room, you know, he rubs himself down with Limburger cheese and puts the suit on over it. So he totally stinks. I mean, from six feet away, it's horrid. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's, you know, i got to hand it to him. Talk I'm, about commitment to the bit, boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, oh yeah. I, and I kind of felt like at the time, uh, Andy Kaufman was sort of doing for comedy what TiVo was doing for music to a certain degree, I, right? I, absolutely, yeah. Turning it yeah. on its head, making people like challenge their preconceived notions, oh, things along yeah. those lines. But by the time he went to Tony Clifton, What's great about that is that's where the comedian stops being funny. Yeah, right. right. No, <laughs> you know, really. that's that's what happened to Lenny Bruce. That's what happened to George Carlin and so many others. Is they're brilliant, and then they're getting so angry, and and they're 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 stuck in this industry that's so upside down and yeah. driving them nuts, and they they go too far. 
And I love it, but that's when they lose everyone. I mean, speaking of Carlin, there was that Carlin documentary that came out. Uh, it was like this yeah, two-parter. Yeah. And like, yeah, I, I, just, it, I just was reminded, like in his latter years, he was like, yeah, you know, humanity should go. It's enough. <laughs> Yeah. It's been like and be like I was like George don't that's people don't want to hear that. It's like no no but right. really it's, it's it's been enough. Just bring it on. It's right. <laughs> and, and he meant yeah. it. That's what was so what's so crazy. It was like yeah right. people want to hear your jokes man. They want to they want to hear some of the classic right. bits and it's like no. No, what he was doing is ex- <laughs> you know he was he was explaining and exposing and uh, governmental tyranny. You know uh, yeah. what what they were doing to you for real, not a theory of conspiracy, of real, for real. And people like Wait, tell a joke. Yeah, tell a joke. <laughs> I feel like that classic, that classic Bill Hicks bit where he went, when he had the cancer and was, uh, All right. I was just going like as dark as possible, and then it's like, <laughs> and then he like, he would tag it with, but "Don't worry, folks, there are dick jokes coming." Like after like, yeah. <laughs> after just like blasting people for like ten minutes with all this, like right. here's how the government's screwing you, here's how yeah. everything you're being bought and sold, everything's terrible, blah blah blah. Right. <laughs> it's, it's dick jokes coming. It's like okay, yeah. <laughs> But it's, he, sh- he should have used a laugh track like G.I. Jerry did. <laughs> the laugh I did one right. live stand-up. Uh, it was short. Yeah. It was in New York. Uh, I forget the name. It, it, it was uh, It was at Pier 43 or something. There was mm-hmm. a tugboat that had been turned into a nightclub that was wow. docked there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And they had, you know... They would have live performances, and then they would have a DJ. And this was not that long after 9-11, and I took my white bathrobe from the Soho Grand and, and my Osama bin Laden mask. Oh, man. And my boombox with a laugh track that I had programmed on a CD of, so that after every one of the yeah. bad jokes... <laughs> you could just hit the laugh and you get the camera. Yeah, after, and yeah. with the microphone, yeah. And it, you know, it lasted about five minutes before uh, <laughs> I, I was asked to go. Were, were people just furious about it or like? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first joke is, hello, I, I was in your beautiful, oh yeah, I was in your city of Chicago last week. What a beautiful skyline. Ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a wow. And like, uh, <laughs> and uh, these Western women—they are so immoral. They are drinking and and they are flirting, and they come to me and they say, "Oh, jihad, you look so good in that turban." And I, I said, "I'd look better in you." And she, and she said, "Let's go." <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> it was. It didn't go down well. Very brave. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, but then I remember there were all these discussions about. Oh, is it okay to laugh again? Is it okay to you know do this or that or whatever? Yeah. And everyone really got super super serious about it. Right. Um, but also, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, like. Oh, that didn't come out of nowhere. That was for like decades and decades of like foreign entanglement and uh, right and and bombing other countries that you know didn't maybe didn't get the same play as as the World Trade Centers and right. 
I, I'm not going to sit here and get like super political about it or anything, but like <laughs> if you didn't see that coming, it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was going to happen eventually. Um, have we talked? Yeah. Yeah. It was hard to, it's hard for me to believe that. Well, let's just put it this way. There's, there's, there's meat on the bone about a cover up with nine 11 to me. Did you, I, I was just reminded when you had your wedding with the cakes, that, that, that <laughs> yeah. was, <laughs> it was like, I remember there was, that was, uh, it was called the twin towers of love. <laughs> It was deeply contentious with some folks. Uh, oh yeah, which, yes. Which I mean, gosh, you know uh, that that Giuliani guy like turned it into like an art form of uh, you know performatively yeah. invoking nine eleven. Um, yeah, as in many others. So yeah, well, uh, yeah. If you're just shameless and duplicitous, no one has a problem with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. That's okay. But you make a joke about it, boom. Oh no. no. Uh, Okay. So then, uh, you know, not to get too far down the lines with the nine eleven humor, but like (laughs) the whole the whole concept of Jihad Jerry didn't didn't super land. The songs were good though. The songs were interesting. Well, yeah, I I worked hard on those songs, and I like that they are that they've been re released. And it's, yeah. what was it like revisiting those? Because and that was a time where, um, well, it's pretty something for everybody. Uh, th- there wasn't a lot of default activity at that point. There was a, I recorded all those in 2004, five, 2005, right. and didn't get a deal to put them out until like six months later in 2006. And, and I think most of them really hold up because I was, uh, working with really good musicians and uh, spending lots of time in the studio. And, and um, my good friend, uh, Paul uh, David Hagar, who's like front of house mixer for Beck and for Miley Cyrus and many others. He's also a great studio engineer. And he, you know, he did, he did all the recording and, and mixing and, uh, and, and we worked hard on it. That's all I can say. And I remember doing a, you know, an interview at Sirius XM in New York because uh, I was put out on Cordless Records and Cordless was a little side project for Warners. Right. And uh, <clears throat> the, the guy that started Cordless knew the people at Sirius and they were very interested in interviewing me. And the first thing this DJ says is, hey, you know, this lead off track here, um, the time is now. You know, if that was a Devo song, I'd be playing the shit out of it. But, you know. He goes, what do you mean you know? Goes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He goes, but, you know, Jihad Jerry, no fucking way. You know. Oh, thanks a pants load, so, yeah. Yeah. So it was like, and I do think most of those songs, I still really enjoy them. And I was glad to re-release them and add new material. Um I even like uh, I I even like the name check song. Oh, oh yeah. What's in a name? What's in yeah. a name? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, trying some big swings for different things. I, I do think you know, time is now is great. Like there's there's you know the you know that could be it. You know, like you know, like like the way of like doing the call and response. Like oh, but you never hear it that way. 
Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's really clever. That's a very like uh, Devo thing to do it. Like, because <laughs> it's it's usually you would have like you know the question and answer, and it's right. like. Right. And it's like question ambivalence, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is which is fantastic. And and there aren't any answers. There aren't any answers. Yeah, absolutely. And there and like like beehive. That's a killer riff. You know that that's yeah. a, that's a killer bluesy riff. But it doesn't yeah. sound like the blues. It sounds like you know, a song that you would do. It, 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 it it's where I started before. Right uh, before I met Mark, and you know then he influenced me to change the way I was writing music and I influenced him about what we would write about yeah. and what what the idea of de-evolution was you know that's that's why it was such a good marriage but um I, that's how I that riff I made that riff up when I was 21 on my Dan Electro guitar and which it totally sounds like but I mean that as a compliment like it's, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I you know I thought of myself as, you know, I mean, you know, you have a lot of ridiculous uh, personas then, but I thought of myself as like a white John Lee hooker or something, you know, when I was doing that. <laughs> so did Clapton. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to get that in He there. never did anything as dirty as yeah. that song. John Clapton could never. Uh, I think that... You know, but it's notable because it's like at the time it was like, oh no, it's like Devo energy, but like it's it's a little less. It doesn't have like the hard synth action being like no. at the forefront, right? Like like and right. and it's kind of there's almost like big rock review stuff going on, but with the uh, with the larger conceit, whether yes. whether people were into it, horrified by it, or or, or not, like yeah, you know, I mean it's twisted. It's you yeah. know, Captain Beefheart got in there somewhere, you know. Yeah, and like I you know, look, Bowie, like you know, he was yeah. flirting with fascistic uh, imagery uh, for for a while, and uh, yeah. seemed seemed to get up scot free. But maybe it was you know, those are different times too. You know? Yes, they were. <laughs> 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 oh, I hate thinking about those times. Yeah, uh, which. Yeah, I mean, we talked. I'm trying. I'm really trying not to re- repeat ourselves too much. I'm not going to worry too much about it. But like, I feel like that was. Bowie's a perfect example of, of an artist that was like common cause for like pushing the envelope for trying different things. Um, He's incredible, just incredible. Yeah, an R.I.P. man. That's a you know that's usually when there's a celebrity death. I'm like, eh, whatever. But yeah, when Bowie hit, it's like, oh, this should be a national holiday. Yeah, God, so much talent. I mean, he could sing, he could play, he could perform theatrically. He had plenty of ideas and worked with incredible people kept reinventing himself. He did everything an artist should do. And what I really, really respect about him, even beyond everything else that's obvious, is that here he is in the end. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's got terminal illness. And what does he do? He goes out and writes a new record. About what's happening to him, which is amazing. Like, it's... Fantastic. <laughs> Talk about how I, way to go out, right? I mean... When I saw Lord. that video where he's almost wrapped up like a mummy oh. and frightening... I thought, what the hell is this about, man? And then I find out two weeks later, you know? Yeah, and uh, I was lucky enough to have Tony Visconti on, uh, which was a dream, obviously. That guy's done so much great stuff. But yeah, he like swore everyone, they had NDAs. Like, it was like, it was was like, you cannot tell anyone about any part of this. Right. And it's, uh, 
I mean, that's, yeah, perfect. That's, that's an artist. <laughs> yeah, that's a true artist. I mean, it's it's hard it's hard to argue with like living a life of uh, of pure art that way and go and going out choosing to go out like that and yeah. you know it's, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of remarkable. He never lost his nerve. Yeah, exactly. He always you know saw, saw saw through and always like saw where he wanted to go with it, which is which is great. I mean, it's some people some people have the ideas, but they lack the tenacity to enact them, and some people cool, lack yeah. the bravery to do it. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah, and they're they're like, you know, they're like as soon as they can uh, um, get off the train, like as soon as they can go to some safe place, they do. They, you know, they quit being experimental. They quit pushing the envelope. They quit taking right. risks. Soon oh, as you like can. this? This is the thing you like? Cool. We'll just do this. Yeah. That's... We'll just, yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Can just, we can keep remaking this record. That's fine. Mm-hmm. How much are you going to pay me? <laughs> All right. That sounds okay. Right. Uh, yeah, it's um, the the, the uh, dichotomy is, is, is huge. Like I, I liken it to when David Lynch came back with uh, Twin Peaks The Return, which is just incredible uncompromising. Oh, like it's like... Oh. It's, just like pure distilled Lynch and they just let him do it and let him go. And it's crazy. Ugh. And it is frustrating. And it also aired at the same time that the game of Thrones season where they ran out of source material and they're like, all right, cocaine decisions, let's go. <laughs> and it's just, the, Oh my God. Like the, the, the contrast, you know, it was amazing. <laughs> if David had only been allowed to do one episode and it was episode eight, got a light. Got a light. It's like it's so great. That's a throw. The, that's throwing the mic down. That's like fuck you. Come on, everybody, <laughs> top that, pal. You can't. And it's it's so <laughs> it's so audacious oh. and so perfectly him too about how oh. he chose to do it. Like just to like resolve something so succinctly and beautifully, and to leave something. No, we're not even gonna bother with that. That's I was <laughs> jealous and howling with laughter. Oh my god! Yeah, it's 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 truly remarkable, and that's I mean, do you do you feel like do you feel like there's like affinity and common cause when you see like art like that? Like, is it? I mean, I I know I always get like pumped when I'm like, wow, I can't believe. Sorry to bother you, right? I can't believe the first first person we wanted to meet when we got out to L.A. was David Lynch. Nice. How did? And I did. How did that go? Was it? It was fantastic. He made me meet him at Bob's Big Boy on La Cienega Boulevard, where he would go every day for lunch and have a chocolate milkshake and a hamburger. Fantastic. And, you know, there was no joke to it. He no, he just liked it. I'm sure. Yeah. Dead serious. <laughs> and it was a just fantastic. Uh, you know, you're almost like you got fanboy stuff going on and right. you know, jittery because you're in the presence of something really intense and really cool and smart. And kind of threatening, and he and and it went well. And he handed me an early version of the script, of uh, early draft of Ronnie Rocket. He said, "Read this," because I think at the time he was even thinking that he might consider using Devo. It's a movie he never made, and it's a movie he ended up like nicking pieces of to put in other movies. Yeah, but man, Ronnie Rocket. That would have been, that's the masterpiece that got away. It basically, what it is, is if David Lynch 
had a surrealistic nightmare about the life of Elvis Presley. Woke up and remembered it all, wrote it down. And now he's going to retell the story of Elvis Presley from his perspective. It's yeah, perfect for you guys. Uh, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. Are you kidding me? That's like central casting. Yeah, let's go. Oh, it's incredible. And he never made it's it. Like, yeah, I never made it, huh? No, it's like these two disgraced uh, uh, plastic surgeons, because they've been experimenting and, and doing unethical things, they lose their license. And they, uh, I, I, think, I think they're gay, and they move into some, like, gothic-looking house. You know, it's like basically Adam's family. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. And they create a basement laboratory and keep doing their work in secret. And for one reason or another, they end up at this, this high school uh, uh, dance. And, uh, and there's a, there's a, a massive uh, electrical problem. And the band on stage is just like a typical kind of like 60s surf band, the kind of thing that David always likes to traffic in. Yeah. And this kid gets this, the, the whole place catches on fire and this kid gets electrocuted. He's on the verge of death. They sneak him out and they take him back to their laboratory and they save him. But he's, he's in constant pain and he's wearing devices under his clothes that keep him alive with some solution with tubes going into his gut and down his back and they uh they play him rock music and they play him elvis presley and he he's kind of their prisoner and he learns how to play guitar and he learns how to sing this is amazing and he goes back to school and he and he's everybody makes fun of him because now he's this fucked up kid, right? Yeah. But but when he gets on stage, whenever he gets around electrical current, he goes into spasms and goes nuts and just starts <laughs> screaming and singing. Yeah. But they the girls all think it's cool. Right, right. This <laughs> like but oh, he's Elvis the pelvis or but yeah, like right. but he's actually happy. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so. Wow. It's, it's so dark. And then that's but that's when uh, the the good witch from Wizard of Oz comes into it. Naturally. Which he ended up nicking and putting in. Uh, uh, what was it? With the Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, Wilder Heart. Yeah. Wilder Heart. Yeah. And ended up putting that in. But she figures uh, centrally into this thing because she takes him away from these guys and saves him. What year is this that, that, that this happened? That this, were... this, he gave me that in 1978. Okay, so that's that's really that's pretty early on. He, he's, he hadn't even done um, Elephant Man yet, right? Was that, was that had he no. done Racerhead at that point or no? Yeah. I guess Racerhead Racer, 77, yes. right? Yeah, so he... Yeah, 77. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, yeah and then... My other studio upstairs. <laughs> I've got a I've got a framed picture of uh, of uh, Jack Nance from Eraserhead, which is great because it's oh, like yeah. if you know, then you'd be like, oh my god, and people don't like who's that right. guy? <laughs> a weird uncle. I mean, the fact <laughs> that he could do that and he could do Elephant Man and he could do 
uh, blue velvet. Yeah. All like in a cluster. It's like Stanley Kubrick who would do yeah. this, then he'd do that. And then, yeah, Barry Lyndon, 2001, The Shining, yeah. like it's all the same guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, that would have been a heck of a collaboration. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, not that Human Highway isn't isn't fantastic, which obviously <laughs> in its own way oh, it is. But. You know, that's the only film that got better the more they kept doing re-edits. You know, usually yeah. you start re-editing a film, it's just you're going down a rabbit hole, it's going to get worse and worse. But honest to God, the last time Neil did a brand new edit and re-released it, which was a few years ago now, and he invited me along with the cast to get up on stage and talk afterwards and answer questions. It was the best version. It was the most, right. it made the most sense. It was the, the shortest and most cohesive. And it actually was enjoyable to watch. <laughs> yeah. What did it just, what did it just seem like an inscrutable, uh, incomprehensible like work at first? Cause it seems like it could have gone. Well, he just kept changing his ideas as that, you know, yeah. he was making it up as he went. You know. And there's a lot of ideas for sure, but uh, and he had the power and the money, to, and and people around him that was you no know, one's gonna tell him no, yeah, sync, no, they weren't gonna tell him no. That's right, they were syncopated enough, and of course Dean Stockwell and and, and uh, you know ah uh, uh, come on oh uh, another uh, great man uh, that's dead great great uh, actor that's uh, dead um, Dennis Hopper Dennis Hopper yeah thank you I was gonna say he they were, were I, I was thinking of. Here's what I was thinking of, Jerry. I was I was like, yeah, he was in Land of the Dead, and he basically played uh, Donald <laughs> Rumsfeld in that. And and like uh, Land of the Dead, love all love to George Romero, not a great movie, but like that's what I was thinking of as the other movie of all the things he's done because I was like, wow. What well, they were at their low point. You know, they yeah. lost their polished stars, and they were like just drinking and coking and smoking, and they were like pranksters. Yeah, they were like hell on set, and. And they were, you know, they were, they were really uh, a poking Devo, you know. They were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were having fun with us. Uh, we we felt like Jeffrey in in Blue Velvet, basically. <laughs> hey, neighbor. Because, yeah, because yeah, Dennis was already frank in real life. Right, I mean, right. That's what was going on. Seems like it'd be an intimidating dude to hang out with to a certain degree. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I I do love the worried man footage. Oh from yeah, that. like I think that that's so. Per- and it, it, it honestly, it took me years before I realized. I think it took me working at a record store before I realized that it was even like a cover slash reinterpretation. I was like, oh, oh, it's yeah. like a, it's like an old school like working it's song. Totally twisted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah, I totally twisted. Because I thought it just sounded like you guys, and you know, of course I, I love that that we got to sing our version of that while playing disgruntled nuclear waste uh, a cleanup crew with the with the hats that have the the um yeah. the apparatus <laughs> which yeah. that, totally was, that was that was my design i did that uh yeah i mean again great visual and like again you could you could kind of lift and shift that to today right and and right. uh still right. works and you think of chernobyl where you know look look who saved us the liquidators these right. guys that sacrificed themselves yes because the whole damn thing was going to melt down through the foundation and basically everybody in russia and ukraine would have died and we would still be dealing with so much radiation you wouldn't believe it so they those people built the you know dug underneath the tunnels 
subject themselves to lethal radiation and build a new concrete floor to contain the meltdown. And they were, it's a death sentence, you know? Like and they knew it. Yeah. Did you, did you see that there was the, I think it was a miniseries. Was it a movie? Or, I think it was a miniseries. It was a couple years back. Um, well, oh, it was great. The only jarring thing really. about it is everybody had British accents, of course, because, was, <laughs> but, but yeah. But it, it was really well done. I, I, I agree. I thought, I thought it was really fantastic. And it's I, for such a tale that, yeah, that shouldn't be forgotten about. You know, like, like that is not a sacrifice that should ever be forgotten about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Wild changeup. One thing I don't think we've actually talked about before. I mean, I don't. Where, where do I go from there? I mean, it's like I don't know. Everything's been so funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's get back to the nine eleven humor and lighten things up. Oh man. Uh, uh, Iggy, we're, yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> like he, you stayed with him for a while, and and like yeah, yeah I mean, we hit his uh, rented house in Malibu when yeah. he was finishing up uh, Lust for Life, and and like. I mean, he just liked having you around is what is what it. Yeah, right? I think so. He he got off on the act. He saw us. He came and saw us at the Starwood with Tony Basil. She brought him. Nice. And uh, he was impressed. Yeah. Did uh did you ever give serious contention to like collabing with Iggy or was he just too much of a wild card? You know, he was so scary, especially at that time. <laughs> exactly. That, I think as much as we really would have liked doing that, we couldn't imagine the reality of making that happen. Yeah, like it's yeah, it seems like he wasn't he wasn't that far away from you know. We never knew what was really going on. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, how would you? It's just all you know is maybe keep a safe distance if possible. <laughs> you know, it was right on the water, and it was you know a typical kind of structure that was built in the '60s, right on the water almost like an ugly ranch house, but on stilts yeah. with the surf rolls in underneath and the whole house rumbles and everything's really <laughs> loud. And at six o'clock when the tide came in, he decided after a whole afternoon of snorting and smoking and drinking that he'd show us how cool he was, I guess. And he got out on the balcony and up on the rail and he jumped when the surf came in, he just jumped off the railing in into the surf, but it wasn't really deep enough. Yeah. So he, he hit the wet sand and he, you know, he was all scratched up and bruised up. And then he cleaned up in the shower. And then he um, decided he had to go into town and meet his girlfriend. But she, he was taking so long to get it together. She showed up <laughs> at the house. She was waiting for and him. She was, she was angry. Right. And uh, he had rented a GTO convertible, you know, like a muscle car. Yeah. From the 60s and they were fighting and yelling and they left together and they got in and they were going to go down PCH somewhere and have a have a, a burger <laughs> and one does. sure why wouldn't you yeah about 15 minutes later the police knocked on the door because uh, they wanted to talk to us because Iggy had hit a phone pole and uh, the car was totaled and the girl who was taken to the Malibu hospital, you know, and Iggy was there with her and, you know, there we are again. It's like blue velvet in Frank, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It seems like it would be kind of like an unsettling experience yeah. to be around that, yeah. 
Did you find? Did you find that it was? Could you kind of shut that out and like just like okay, let's let's uh, <laughs> let's work on this well, now. I, let's. I think we made some you know business type excuses about why we had to leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when right, he right. came back. <laughs> did he ever uh, jump on Mike or anything along those lines when you were grinding? No, no. I wish. Yeah, that would have. <laughs> That would have that could have gone two ways, and either way would have that's been true. interesting. Yeah, <laughs> like it would have been memorable. That's for sure. Uh, especially, and he's then. still here. You know, yeah. he's still on the planet, and I, he's still doing it. I, I did not have it on my bingo card that he would outlive Bowie. It's unbelievable. <laughs> good for good for him, man. Good for him. I love that song you did with the teddy bears about ten years ago. Did you hear? Uh, did you hear the record he did at Rancho de la Luna with uh, Josh from Queens of Stone Age? Uh, yeah, years ago, really good. Really good, like cool. Better than has any right to be. Where it's like this is this is this, this is fantastic, and he just made this to make it. It's it's that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's, well, it's notable. Created under adverse conditions, uh, you know, you're coming up from Ohio, which we may have decided we had a we had a tour game. We were trying to figure out what the worst state was, and, and <laughs> Ohio is definitely top three. Uh, it's best. It's best state to get out of. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's great. Uh, what I always said is, um, growing up in the Central Valley, it was a great place to be from because it gives you plenty to rebel against. So that's yeah. what, what yeah, makes you, it good. Yeah. If uh, you're an artist, you got to get out of there. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, but it's boot camp, and it makes you strong. Exactly. You don't. You don't. You you find out how much you actually want it, you and do. what it means to you, like very early yeah. on. Yeah, uh, you can't be a wimp. Did you feel like, uh, I, and I'm just thinking about the fact, like Devo just being an idea factory, like you know, uh, uh, the uh, the you know, the beginning was the end. Like when you put that on the the truth about devolution, like the, like it started with the film, right? And like it was, it's there from the from the jump that you got like there's like the narrative structure. There's like, right. oh, what are we watching? What is this? What's what's happening? Right, the manifesto, like the meta statement. <laughs> right. It's just like out of the gate, like it's mm-hmm. it's all it's all fully conceived in there. Here it is, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever find the uh, yeah? And chat, I agree. Indiana was in the mix as well, but, but um, a lot of people, by the way, chiming in about the chimes and the and saying it's disturbing their ASMR experience, uh, <laughs> which I think is deeply hilarious. <laughs> uh, which I will probably be disturbing as well by speaking. But the being an idea factory that can be a double edged sword. Sometimes there's too many ideas. Sometimes there's you know you you have to whittle it down. Uh, I feel like everyone was the best at sort of listening to their own North Stars about what to do and, and how to create. Can you think of any examples of just like go nowhere stuff that kind of spring to mind? Like whether it's like from, you know, the, the bullion base of ideas of, of, of everyone or people just trying to like have a say or, some, or something along those lines where stuff that didn't work. Oh, plenty. <laughs> you know, that's you, anybody would be being dishonest if they said every idea they had was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to have some stinkers. Do you have uh, any, 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 uh, especially egregious ones, especially smelly ones? Well, <laughs> you know, I, I think, um, on the shout LP, a lot of things mm. went wrong and we did a, did a whole eight hours of a photo shoot with uh, Warner Brothers uh, select photographer. We shot, you know, on the roof of Warner Brothers. We went to several locations in LA. In our 
peace Nazi uniforms. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> with with replicas of yeah. of nine millimeter pistols yeah, uh, yeah. that we got from Western Costume. Uh, and that was that was like, like eighty four, right? That was like a yeah, a it's kind of a jihad Jerry moment. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it didn't <laughs> it didn't work, and um, we had uh, basically we had wigs on that looked a lot like the Ramones right. on purpose. And that was the record uh, that, that that's got the Fairlight, right? The, the, like yeah, the Fairlight. yeah, that was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and especially, I mean, I think Oh No's Devo was fantastic. I think it's actually wildly underrated. Yeah, I like that Pantheon. Album a lot. I th- mm-hmm. um, But it, it definitely, it, de- it did seem like a weird step. Like, it seemed a little, um, as a fan, almost kind of undercooked a little bit, maybe. Well, it's a, it's a problem. You know, what you said at the beginning of this tonight were about Devo had some kind of primal rock foundation, and then there yeah. would be since supporting it on top of it and you know commenting on it but it wasn't since deciding what we do or getting rid of guitars and getting rid of power and guts and pr- primal energy by the time you get a fair light what you got is the tail wagging the dog right where everything that makes devo you know dangerous or primal gets put to bed and you know the fruity tooty <laughs> Fairlight takes over, and it's and it's terrible. It, you know, it, it did sound a lot safer, maybe. No, it was than, nubby, and yeah, and it was like tedious and you know small and you know busy. It it was basically when Puff Daddy became P Diddy. That's. I forgot about that rebrand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is like it's like see this, I'm Puff Daddy. See this Wong here? No, I'm P Diddy. Yeah, that, I lost. That, that's, I lost my balls. That's, that's another example. Was there no one around to tell him no? That was like that's a bad oh, idea. Yeah. You shouldn't do that. That's not a good arc from Puff to P Diddy. Yeah, it does doesn't Im- have the same impact. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and you had the. Um, yeah, like so. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what were they? They were like, uh, Ch- uh, they were from China or something, right? Like the, the the suits. They were like kind of like. Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't have the the visual in front of me, but I remember. Uh, well, there were two. We we had two different kinds of suits. Yeah, the white friendship suits. Right. That were that were uh, Mao inspired. That were actually made by an English tailor, on La Cienega Boulevard for us, and. Uh, <laughs> And then we had the black peace Nazi outfits right. that were made by this Japanese designer, Koshin Sato, who tried to make it in America uh, in like 1987, had a big show at the tunnel in New York that I produced. You know, I designed for two shows, afternoon show and a night show. And... The big deal was that uh, he made special outfits for Andy Warhol and for Miles Davis, and they would be at each show and model them. Wow. And the first show kind of went off as planned, but Andy got so sick by the second show that he refused to do it, and we had to call medics. He was in the dressing room, and he wanted to go home, and his handlers 
refused to let him go out on the runway. And he looked bad, and, you know, we talked to him briefly, and it didn't look like an act. And it wasn't because yeah. next day he goes into the hospital, has a gallbladder operation, and dies. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. That's a... Yeah. No, there is another joke. I was okay. going to say, where's the laugh track? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah. yeah, and all the laughs I had for that stand-up were, were, you know, from Foley libraries of, like, comedy clubs in the 60s. So the laughter Yeah, yeah, like Bob more. Newhart with, the, like, the button-down mind or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and the laughter is so kind of, like, um, polite and Tee-hee-hee, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, That's That's yeah. even better, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, – well, I, so you, you bringing that up is an important note because I think the collaborations over the years with uh, designers and people with a strong visual aesthetic and stuff, it, it seemed, seemed to be very natural for you to be able to find find your people from the outside, but it also seemed like it was very methodical and um, – Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you can't possibly, when you have these kind of ideas, it's uh, it, it's such a farce to try to make people believe that it's just you're the auteur and you can do it all. Yeah. You you can't do it all. It takes really collaborative, talented people to help you realize a vision. It's exhausting. It really you, even if you can do it, it's exhausting. Like who has yeah. that kind of time and energy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you know, like to think of like. Uh, and again, as a cultural moment with with Whippet and, and whatnot, like the, this, the visual aesthetic is half the reason that like people were like, "What the hell is this?" Right. Uh, and but I always appreciate that rather than just like, "Yes, yeah, settle into the thing." Oh, we're the guys that with the hats that do this. Like, it's like yeah. oh, it's, every, every album is different. You know, every album is like <laughs> yeah. there's a different new like. What what are they doing now? What is it like? Right. Like the like the plastic pompadours. <laughs> Plastic hair, yeah. <laughs> Which is so, so incredible. Uh, but it's also, you know, I think of another band that had, like, a strong visual aesthetic, like the Residents, right? Like, they would do yeah. other things and be like, bring back the eyeballs. We want the eyeballs. <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's hard to top the, the all-knowing eye. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's probably one of the best visual aesthetics of all time. There's worse things to be known for. Uh, but did you, uh, you know, as Devo through the ages, and again, up to. <laughs> that's coming back but being blue because our focus group tested D- did you find that like people were like mad about like you know you changing the visual aesthetic while uh change the music or like were people at the time mostly like along for the ride no no you know it, I, I think mostly the gatekeepers were the ones that got upset because as you mentioned earlier what they wanted you to do is just keep making whip it yeah like, don't fuck around <laughs> give us 10 more like- of those thanks <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like that one. That's the one we like. Keep doing more yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. It was like all the interstitial uh, videos that I would do to play in concert where we had the evil record company executive, Rod Reuter. And <laughs> That's right. <laughs> every, every line he said, I just got from real people in the business. Yeah. I, I listened to what they'd say, and I'd be so horrified, I'd go home and write it down. I didn't make up anything when he says, I can forgive you guys for being artists. Yeah. But I can't forgive you for being stupid. <laughs> You're begging for the barrel room. Oh. Anyway, that's that was real. That was all 
They really said that. But but then like also anyone that was paying slightest attention, which those the gatekeepers usually are not, unless it directly affects them. I just think about the fact that uh, you know, duty now you start with the corporate anthem and go straight into clock out, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like which are both great, but mm-hmm. first of all, we we covered this previously when you've been on weird sounding record, like just like I love yeah. it, but very strange sounding record. Yeah, and yeah, not uh, going for the jugular in a very different sort of way than maybe <laughs> the expectations were. Um, and and yeah. like, and that's when you started to bring in those ideas of like. Yeah, like this is like the uh, which is why it's so funny. You know, when even before Kim Jong Un, like Kim Jong Il, they would have like their their anthems, you know, that they would play, and it was like, here's the pump up music to hear the great leader, right? You know, great, okay, that's awesome. Um, Yeah, I mean, we we had all that worked out. You know, by the time you know we came up on the radar, we had been in garages and basements for three and a half years, and. uh, we had like 40 songs and we had culled them down to about 20 or so of our favorites. And we had divided them up. Here will be the first record. Here will be the second record. And here's why. So it was all worked out. And they didn't like our sophomore effort. They did not like Duty Now. They were. They said, basically, I know we got a five album deal with you guys, but let me just tell you something. The next record, the third record, if it's anything like this one, it'll be your last. And you can sue us. <laughs> right. You can sue us for breach of contract. Go ahead and try. You know, we got deep pockets and we got a we got a team of lawyers here. So when we did Freedom of Choice, our attitude was, okay, it's over. Fuck it. We're just going to yeah. do what we've been thinking. Because we were always thinking about, where we were going after we, you know, after the party was over, divested yeah. ourselves of <laughs> yeah. these songs we lived with, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was it was always going to be this quote robot R and B where I was going to play synth bass instead of synth guitar because of Stevie Wonder's. Uh, oh yeah, what uh, a, um, uh, what's the song? So good. I mean. Anyway. Uh, so, you know, and then we got Stevie Wonder's producer, uh, right. Bob Margulis, <laughs> right, to make sure that the bass and drums were pumping and dry, and he did it. Well, and it's funny that that was the, the record that sort of you kind of threw caution to the wind on, because I mean, starting on Freedom of Choice, starting off with the Girl You Want, like that's an all-timer rock and roll song. I mean, the fact that like rock bands have covered it, yeah. maybe like you know, being a little more straightforward or whatever. Uh, and yeah, Freedom of Choice is one of the great Devo anthem songs. And then you start off like side side B even has like Gates of Steel. Gates of Steel is like that would be some song, some bands like best song ever, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, we were really disappointed and kind of crestfallen that that the Freedom of Choice and, and Gates of Steel didn't get radio play. It seems like a no brainer, honestly. Nobody jumped on it, <laughs> yeah. but they did like the stuff that was where we were influenced by R&B where it was yeah. R&B inflected and where the arrangements were very strong and very to the point, you know, you, you would remember the riff and then you would count how many times we, we would repeat something before we change where you don't expect it. And they'd get used to that. And they, those are the songs they loved. That's why they loved 
whip it because that's the strangest chorus you're going to hear. Oh, it's yeah, it's, it's it doesn't make any sense from a right. uh, perspective of like traditional songwriting. Like it's crazy. No. It's crazy. Like and it's the movement no. in it is like it like that shouldn't work. You know, right. <laughs> none of it but should work. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, I do want to. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I am actually a big duty now future uh, fan. And I was listening to one of those live records that were, that were released um, back in the day, which, by the way, rip. Like, it's great to actually hear that stuff uh, for folks that were maybe <clears throat> too young to be there. Uh, it's it's great to hear you guys just tearing through stuff, you know, like with 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 a vengeance. But it occurs to me just what a singular composition Smart Patrol slash Mr. DNA is. Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take to come up with smart patrol how did you work that out and when when did you know that like that like popped the way that it pops because i feel like that's got like the the jocko homo thing right it's got it's got a thing like you do in a couple other songs but it's all in one song and it's epic in length as well yeah well i i wrote that song on my bass but i wrote it with bob mothersbaugh playing guitar you know so we worked together on it and then that smart patrol is just its own song then mark started something that became mr dna right and we worked on the lyrics together and the progression was one of those you know progressions that don't rest right so it's a it's a revolving progression and it was a call and response and when we started playing live um we decided one night that we would do Mr. DNA right after Smart Patrol. Right. Like, it lasts, like we'll just one-two it. We'll just psh, right into it. Yeah. And even though it was really rough the first time, it was like, oh, we had to do that on purpose. Right. We really have to do that on purpose. So we worked on that, and we realized it was they were of a piece, that there was a medley here, and that it was together an epic thing because it kicks into high gear. Like just when you think you've had it and you think it's over and you're released from the the rock of smart patrol, it's like, nope. Oh, seventh gear. Right, oh. right. Yeah. You're like, it's like you've been ascending, 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 then you hit a plateau, and it's like, oh, there's another mountain over here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like that's crazy. Well, and it's it's because uh, that's one of those songs that is is it's indelibly two songs, but at the same time, it's hard to think of them as being separated. That's right. We can't think of it as separate anymore. So Well, and it, it's a small thing that I love that I didn't notice for years is is the way the vocals in Smart Patrol trade off, like how people right. sing the sing the different sing the different yeah. parts. There's almost like a yeah. like a geometry. That was always part of the idea when I was writing. Did you? I mean, from a perspective of just knowing who does what, where did that take a while to get, or was that kind of like something? Well, we'd already to... started developing this. You know, we weren't the meta Devo yet where it's the five musketeers and yeah. the, the hole is bigger than the sum of its parts. We were, you know, Bob was clown because he was a dangerous right. guy <laughs> right. that a lot of people in Akron were afraid of. And they called him clown. And the drummer was Jungle Jim. And, and Mark would always put on the Boogie Boy mask. So he yeah. was Boogie Boy. And I was a Chinaman, you know, yeah. and uh, <laughs> you know, no, no, a, a racist trope that I didn't know was racist. I, you know, I, it was an homage, you know, yeah. and uh, so, so when I was writing, each of us had character voices anyway. We weren't, we weren't like leading men. We didn't sing like Bowie, you know, and and so 
part of the appeal was the character. Like yeah. talk singing and it's a character like uh, in a theatrical play. So that's when I was writing it thinking, okay, and then Mark's character sings this verse and Bob sings that verse and then we all sing the chorus, you know. And so everyone kind of everyone gets their sort of um their soliloquy w- within the song if it was like a play and it or works something, great. Right? <laughs> because, yeah, it works great because the group gets to show its talents and well, and it's something where, uh, and again, there's another example of song with a lot of repetition. There's a lot of repetition to it, but the, it repeats in different ways, which is to yeah. say that, like, uh, musically, it stays, it stays mostly static, but, like, things change within it as it goes, which right. makes it kind of like, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. I don't... And that epic lead was, was written. Uh, I, was, like, I, was about to, I was about to give props for one of my favorite guitar solos. Which yeah, is, Mark which and is, I worked Jesus. with Bob until, you know, there was nothing jammy about it it was written no it's just like yeah it's 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 right it's right there and that's that's an, i may have actually put that in a in a thing when i talked about great guitar solos like years back now that i think about it, a zine or something because uh, yeah. it's ain't nothing like it but it's it's for for a song that just keeps building and building and building like to have that it's like ah well all my favorite guitar solos were always ones that structurally build yeah like in other words when you hear the next note you go that was the right choice. <laughs> right, right, yeah. It's, it just seems you can't imagine not hearing that as, like, the next thing. That's right. it. Uh, it isn't like he, he suddenly goes, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Meow, oh, you yeah. know, you don't want that. I'll just do a uh, hammer on, you know, okay. Thanks. Right. <laughs> no, that 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 is a smart lead for the smart patrol. Yeah, and that's I, I think that's... I mean, to, to me, that's a perfectly conceived song for like distill. Like, if I was to like, you know, elevator pitch, like, play me a song that's Devo. It's like that would be one of the ones that I play. Like, if you like this, <laughs> then you're gonna dig everything else, even though it doesn't sound like this necessarily. It's like Jack Ohio. I, I don't mean to interrupt, uh, Mr. Conan Neutron, but but because I am a new father, I I have to go. You you you, you have duties. Okay, so I the the. the I, I wanted so real quick. Um, yeah. Over the years, you've had a lot of identities, a lot of um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of yeah, alter egos, alter yeah. egos. Uh, you know, but we like in in that way, I suppose. Uh, how how has that fit the music, the art, the um, the ideas happening at the time? And yeah. how, how, what does it mean to you for these different ones? And what do you get out of them? I guess it's like the same reason Mark and I like masks ever since from the beginning. You know, we both collected masks. It's a theatrical device that takes you out of yourself, makes you a character bigger than your mortal self that then frees you up from certain kind of limitations and certain kind of uh, um, assumptions about what. So you, you get more creative. You get more abstract it takes the pressure off a little bit since you're it, it right it's, it's like that's not me yeah. <laughs> that's that's him <laughs> right it, it's not jihad jerry that's going down to the post office because that would be a right. whole separate scenario but as you find out in the invisible man you him right <laughs> right well and well and, and uh, it, it's i think there's a larger discussion here about like you know things like Alice Cooper, oh, yeah, Jungian you know. one, yes. right? I mean, like and like, what does it mean to like put on the mask and become someone else and so on and so on? Some it goes back to the Prisoner. Remember the Prisoner TV I, show? One of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Uh, 
that makes me want to just sign off. We'll see you later, but I, I'm not going to do it. Uh, so, so last thing, uh, and, and it's always, it's always so great having you, man. Like this, this is uh thank you. Thank you for doing it. It's always I love talking having. to you. Uh, I think this is a real cool release. Uh, Invisible man. It's um, people can get what's, what's the best way. Should people be getting it? Um, I mean, I guess if they, if they you go to their local record store, if you, if you, if you have one. Yeah. yeah. And to up. get a taste of it, just go, to GeraldVCasali.com and watch the video. Which are great. The videos are which is, awesome. Which is cut to the Martin Ware remix, Martin from Heaven 17. Which which is fantastic. It. That's so that's I, I was I guess give me a uh, like elevator reading of how that how that came to pass. I mean Well, you know, we met Heaven 17 in 1981 and we hung out with him in LA and Martin and I became friends and I loved what he was doing. And he's a great guy and a smart guy, a very nice guy. And we, we stayed in touch over the years. And it, like in the late 80s, I would go see him. He was, you know, at a high point, you know, uh, financially. He had a, 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 like a condo on the island of Guideca within the, yeah, Venice, Venice, Italy. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> so you'd get on a boat from the Grand Canal and you'd go out to Guideca and there would hang out. Sounds all right. And, uh, yeah. And then, you know, I, I saw him, you know, here and there. The last time I had seen him before he played San Francisco this year was uh, they showed up at some weird festival in Long Beach about seven years ago or something. It was, it didn't make sense. It was, it was a <laughs> Wouldn't be anyway, the first place I would think of for them, no. Yeah. They were not happy either. But this time around, uh, the show is really cool and they were great. And I played him what I was doing because he asked me what I was doing. And I said, hey, would you consider doing something? Like, does this make you want to do anything? He yeah, goes, yeah. I would love it. Awesome. I go, I don't know if I can afford you. And he goes, don't worry about that. Let me do it. And a week later, boom. He, there it is. He, there it is. And it's, it sounds like. It sounds like what you think it's going to sound like, but I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you're like, oh, what do you think it's going to sound like? That's what it is. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, I, again, I could keep talking to you forever. I'm, I'm, I need to let you go. Uh, the doc, the documentary status, anything yes. different from last time? Yeah. I, I think, yeah, there's been some kind of movement from that ugly stasis. I think it's going to happen. I think there's Fantastic. a documentary that's going to happen. That's. Wonderful news for all the devotees yeah. out there. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, thanks so much, man. Thank you, man. It's, been, it's always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, con- congratulations on the, uh, the, the both the new release and the other new release. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have to go burp the baby. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, you got to burp one of them. <laughs> That's not the record. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Jerry Casale, thank you so much, man. Appreciate Bye-bye. you. Bye. Oh, there he goes. Jerry Casale, what an awesome dude. Uh, love to hear what that guy's up to. Uh, if you are tuning into the show and you have not heard the previous episodes, I would strongly, strongly, strongly urge you to go and find them because there's uh, even more Devo content. Uh, content. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, let's hear the new EP, The Invisible Man. Let's hear the title. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. This is the Invisible Man.
gas like me, mofo. Don't be gas like me, mofo. Don't be gas like me, mofo. Don't be gas like me, mofo. Sally. Before that, The Invisible Man. Those are both on the uh, the new EP. Some cool stuff. There's some uh, remixes, easy listening, Heaven 17 stuff. Anyway, here's some Smart Patrol.
Smart Patrol, Mr. DNA. God damn, what a great song that is. <laughs> I mean, for a band that has like just great song after great song, there's something about that that just it sends me, baby. It sends me. Of course, before that we had I'm gonna pay you back. And the Invisible Man, uh, both on the Invisible Man EP that you can get. Uh, it's on 12-inch vinyl. It's beautiful. It's freaking awesome looking, man. Um, the original version of I'm Going to Pay You Back is uh, uh, as a single, but it's that EP's got it's a, it's like a lounge version. There's like an easy listening version. Um, it's a pretty cool release. And if you're remotely interested... And Jerry Casale, I would highly suggest checking it out. It's 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 a good one. I'm gonna pick up a copy myself when I get around to it. Clear vinyl, beautiful artwork. Anyway, uh, yeah, check out the new videos. Uh, new video for Invisible Man. And I'm gonna pay you back too. They're they're great. It's really good. You can find all that stuff at his website, which is uh, Gerald. Bcasali.com. So find that there. Link, uh, you can get shirts, all that kind of stuff. I should make something. Anyway, name of the show is Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you very much for listening to it. The show airs on Radio Nope Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. I'm back, baby. No more touring for the year. Uh, you can find all the archives for free. Always. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. Bertonicreversal.com. But if you like the show and great episodes like this and you want to support it and or you want to give me money, uh, $1 a month, patreon.com slash Bertonicreversal. Oh, it'll get you episodes sooner. That's, that's, I'm, I'm off my game. Sorry, guys. Um, Thanks for people sharing shows around everything. Appreciate you. Great stuff to come. Out on Route 128, Duty now for the future. Check you later. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. Broadcasting if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. Hey, hey!